Wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 371 of the JV Club with my guest, Sinead Burke. If you are not familiar with Sinead, she is quite an extraordinary and wonderful young lady. I've never sounded more official in my life than I was when I said that, and it also made me feel super old. That may be the first and last time I call anyone a young lady, even though, to be sure, she is a wonderful young lady. She is an Irish writer, academic, influencer, activist, broadcaster. She had a very, very popular TED Talk uh, titled Why Design Should Include Everyone. We had a marvelous chat, at least from my perspective. She is just, again, a delight. I hope that you enjoy this episode. And I'll tell you what, I feel so incredibly confident that you will. I hope everyone is doing well and keeping safe. And I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The only last thing I would add is that we will be dropping a couple of bonus episodes in for Maximum Fun members as a big thank you for supporting us, uh, even through these very difficult times. Again, for anyone who is not able to do so, please know we love you as well. There is there is nothing uh, hidden in that statement at all, um, but look out for uh, Darcy Carden, who is, of course, Janet <laughs> from The Good Place, uh, as well as an upcoming episode with someone else that I'm super, super excited about. So keep your eyes peeled for that, Max Fun members, and I will talk to you guys soon. Be well, everyone. So when you're, so you were just saying before, before we started recording, you were mentioning that you started a routine that, um, that has been interesting for you and, and, and beneficial for you because your life has been so hectic before all of this began that, um, that one of the things that you've been doing is going out for a walk every morning, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I... I'm a person who has a gym membership, despite most of the gym being inaccessible. And I think if you'd asked me what type of holiday I enjoyed, what type of vacation I liked, I would have always said, oh, well, not one on a beach. Right. You know, I would go to same. a museum. I would go to yes, a gallery. I'm exactly the same. Actually, in the past kind of six weeks that I've been home, I have really been able to measure myself, been able to measure my moods and my emotions, but actually more than anything, my ability to, to modulate both of those things yes. based on whether or not I get outside. Yes. And I think that's probably almost a metaphor for not just being inside, but, you know, being in the same space with the same people for an immeasurable amount of hours on end. So as somebody who did travel a lot for work and was incredibly privileged to do so, being home... And being in my family home has given me the space to create routines, to have a pattern of behavior that felt so alien and out of sorts because I was in different countries, you know, every day of the week, never mind in one place. So actually the the simplicity and the beauty of being able to get up at the same time every morning to go for a walk, to be in the fresh air and whether that's, you know, raining because we're in Ireland or mm-hmm. you get a moment of sunshine, but calling a friend every morning at kind of 8.15, 8.30 and us both talking about our day and our grandiose ambitions for life and kind of being a support to one another and then starting to grow like tomatoes and Sunflowers, which I think I may have killed because I've left them outside <laughs> and I believe it's too cold for them to currently be outside. Um, but the 
the beauty in that simplicity is not something I really expected to revel in. Yeah. I kind of just did it at the beginning of the pandemic because, well, in terms of the walking and in terms of the calls with friends, I was really struggling. I was struggling with the overwhelming sense that you couldn't plan for the future and you didn't know when the future would be. Yeah. And needed to talk to other people who weren't my family. And I love my family. They are the best people in the world, but you need to hear other voices. And, you know, the other parts were just, in many ways, something to kind of do. I'm a person who doesn't really work with my hands unless you really think of, like, setting up a podcast kit in a room or, like, when I, if I have to give a talk, I gesticulate wildly with my hands, but I don't (laughs) use them for anything useful. (laughs) So the idea of, like, growing a plant or making pasta from scratch was such a different discipline to what I'm used to because so much of the work is cognitive or is verbal that actually to do something where both of those senses could be muted in a way in order to just be mindful and present in the physical act of something was such a respite Um, and I'm enjoying making it a bigger part of what I do every day. Are there things that you promise I won't make this entire podcast about adjusting to what's been going on uh, these past couple of months. Um, But have there been have there been things that you're surprised to miss less than you thought you would? Like you you called out the gym and I'll just quickly preface it by saying I was a person I'm a person who sort of floats through different uh, fitness regimens. um, And so I sort of went through a, a gym phase and then somehow just tired of that. And you know, it was like, went what, taking a spin spin class and then going I would rather be on a bike outside what am I doing and then I just you know and again I live in Los Angeles so please don't think I'm taking for granted the fact that <laughs> I have no. the choice most of the time to be outside in a climate I can stand and not being rained on um but but the but I'm wondering for you particularly because you mentioned that you know so much of it is inaccessible um if there's a sense of, oh, wait, there are other ways for me to be in my body and be exercising and getting those endorphins that don't involve the machines and the the sort of tiresome, like, hey, I can't use this machine either of the gym. I think I have a gym membership, uh, probably out of guilt or out <laughs> of some sort of knowledge that it's something I should possess, kind of like a library card. You know, I also have a gym membership. And my siblings are really good at going because we all have we all have membership to the same gym. And when they're going, I kind of go. I I can drive, but I don't have a car. So it's not within walking distance. Mm. So it's like it takes quite a bit of organization to go to the gym, if that makes sense. You need to have somebody to kind of fetch and carry you to there. You can't really just do it um, at kind of at a moment's notice. But it's not something I miss because it's probably something that not necessarily I dread, but it's it's the observation in the gym that I don't like along with the inaccessibility. And it's wild because in many ways, you know, I've never thought of emailing my gym and, and not just questioning the accessibility, but questioning the amount of money I pay to use an inaccessible gym. Yeah. But they do have like great services, like there's a, an accessible changing room and a lot of staff have much more knowledge than I was initially aware that they did around accessibility. But I think I really thought I'd miss the travel and I miss getting to see different people. I am a person who 
most of my friends live in different countries mm. and I get to see them when I travel, which means I get to see them a lot. And not many of those friends are here in Ireland, though some brilliant ones are. And I do miss them, but I don't miss the routine and the choreography of getting on a flight. Yeah. I don't miss the chaos because, you know, I'm not a person who sits in an airport for three hours. Uh, I am a person who arrives 55 minutes before her flight and is wearing an outfit that she knows won't ping in the right. metal detectors right. and has it down to a fine art yes. in getting to the gate. So that <laughs> induces a lot of stress in not me, but like everybody around uh-huh. me who's very <laughs> conscious that it's like 40 minutes to the flight. Right. But I thought I thought I would miss that aspect you know the early mornings kind of what had become my norm yes and I don't but I am desperate to like go back to Los Angeles whenever that is and it doesn't necessarily have to be for work but to see the people that I love there to go to the Hammer Museum in West Hollywood and if I could live there I would particularly in their gift shop but (laughs) I I miss those things and I think also what it's made me realize is that so often I thought I had to travel for work that I couldn't do those things from home I couldn't you know the internet and technology wasn't a vehicle that would provide the same sort of sense or feeling or learning and actually what I've learned is that during COVID-19 that had to be the solution and it is possible so I'm constantly reflecting on when restrictions ease perhaps when a vaccine is created and herd immunity can then occur. And, you know, if that takes two to three years when a sense of normality returns fully, will I be as inclined to travel as often? Mm. But it's also made me desperately want my own space. And whilst I'm very lucky to be quite far into my 20s, (laughs) almost to the end of my 20s, and to still have the privilege of being able to live at home which means I'm not paying rent or any of those charges or rates and do have an ability to save it's made me want to have a space where I can you know put down the art books that I collect and put down you know the photography books or the coffee table books or you know kind of just the pieces of me that I have archived since I was 20 probably and just having a bit of space that's yours I think because I drifted in and out of my family home and whilst it was mine it wasn't permanently mine whereas it's been permanently mine for six weeks and I'm like oh I would like one that's all mine (laughs) just mine so hopefully that's that's I think something I'll focus on in the future uh understandably and and you know, uh, uh, hopefully attainable, achievable, and and um, yeah. What so for for people who don't know, um, what has what what caused you to do uh, all of this traveling, and how did you cultivate uh, friendships with people in different countries? Just just to kind of put that into context. Sure, my background is in education. I'm an elementary school teacher. And it is what I always wanted to do. I thought education was this incredible catalyst to genuinely and sincerely transform the world. I thought it was a vehicle that could eradicate the ignorance around classism, ableism, racism, any of the systemic barriers that exist within society. I thought education could be the vehicle and the tool by which we illuminate them and then challenge them. 
But simultaneously to being interested in education, I was also really taken by fashion, which may seem like an oxymoron, but as somebody who is physically disabled, I am a little person. I have the most common form of restricted growth and dwarfism, and I stand at the height of about 105 centimeters. I was always really frustrated with, A, the legality of having to wear clothes, not that I'm a nudist, but <laughs> that legality paired with not being able to buy clothes that I wanted or not being able to go to a store and I couldn't reach anything. Yeah. And I think I was particularly frustrated or maybe even embarrassed because my experience, I felt at least was unique because my siblings who were younger than me, but they weren't disabled, could access the fashion industry with such ease. Mm. And whether that was in the high street or whether that was thinking about the luxury market, and I remember thinking this notion of everybody has to wear clothes and yet due to me not being considered, I just felt very alone mm -hmm. within the domain of fashion. And my parents founded Little People of Ireland, the national organization here when I was seven. My advocacy really came about due to a triad of those things because children who looked like me were in school and they were getting a tough time in the playground. Other parents were coming to my mom and dad and saying, you know, can anybody help? Can anybody explain to these children why what they're doing is wrong? You know, the teacher doesn't really want to get involved. And what should I do? Hmm. And my mother, in her infinite wisdom, sent me to schools around Ireland to talk about myself in the hope that that would allow other people to kind of see themselves in my narrative and to realize that what they were doing wasn't so kind. And in many ways, all of those things, um, being a teacher, being interested in fashion, which then evolved to writing a fashion blog and doing pieces of advocacy, all led to me doing a TED talk in New York in 2017 called Why Design Should Include Everyone. And it really came about from a kind of personal thesis that I have that in terms of disability, it's not necessarily me who is disabled. It's not my body that is at fault or to blame or shameful, but my lack of independence is due to the physical world. Right. That so much of it was designed without thinking of different types of bodies. It was designed for whatever was considered the norm. Yeah. And actually that lack of thinking and creativity and innovation has made so many people feel left out and that TED talk was then a vehicle which changed my life and all of a sudden you end up on the cover of Vogue which was picked by Meghan Markle the Duchess of Sussex and you start working with fashion companies to make them more accessible and inclusive and diverse and yeah you end up on the cover of the New York Times as style magazine and alongside Dakota Johnson and Florence Welch from Florence and the Machine and yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> that, it's, what an extraordinary, I mean, but obviously there are so many different factors that, that come into play for all of this, you know, as you were saying. It's you know, all, the, all luck. All the, Don't worry. It's all luck. It's all luck. Well, no, listen, I mean, I, I, as a person who very much acknowledges, you know, my own luck, my own privilege, my own good mm -hmm. timing, you know, all of those things um, being true uh, and yeah, and all of the sort of like micro- moves and experiences and mm -hmm. moments that that take you know anyone on their path to to the moment that 
you know, in particular to have these sort of seminal moments that are meaningful because they are kind of publicly recognized by everyone, right? I mean, you can have, you could have your moment of being on the cover of Vogue and that's something that people understand has this great weight to it and momentum to it. But at the same time, you can have an equally moving, important, uh, huge moment in your own life that, you know, culminates in a conversation with a sibling. But when you but but it's not as easy to sort of shorthand that right as it is no, with the these... currency is not exactly as exactly but but just the I mean the the relationship that you must have with with your mom again as as complicated as any familiar relationship can be that she had the presence of mind to to want you to be a voice that was heard and also that you would have the opportunity and perhaps, you know, you and and or the rest of your family played a role in that. But the idea of of, of being isolated and then having having the right person or the right people say, not only do I not want you to feel isolated, I want to put you in a position where you can immediately feel, A, that you are interacting with and coming to understand people who have similar uh, struggles and are placed in similar positions, but also that you have this amazing opportunity to make them feel heard and them feel seen. Like, what a double whammy of empowerment that must, you know, that must be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so empowering, but being very honest, also kind of nerve-wracking oh sure because a hundred percent as as an advocate or as somebody who is so visibly different and you know in most places that I go to in most rooms that I walk into I'm the only one who looks like me yeah and due to a person's interaction with me whether it should be the way it is or not the reality is that how I respond to them and how they respond to me will shape not only their interactions with, but their understanding of all other people who look like me. Yeah. And balancing that between understanding that I can only speak for myself and that lots of other little people probably and do disagree with me or have different experiences when they go about the world or they may be taller so they can reach things that I can't. Right. And teetering on that boundary of being yourself but also just by existing, the politics of that in terms of how other people perceive it and then reenact that towards others is fascinating, but personally kind of challenging. And I think, you know, when my parents and particularly my mom sent me to those other schools, we never had this vision that it would be the beginning of my journey for advocacy. It was so much simpler than that because mm. it wasn't even about me at all. It was here is a child who was struggling and shouldn't be. And I had the skills literally by being a teacher and had like the police vetting to go to the school and to use those skills to try to translate something that was much bigger than just being a little person. How, you know, nobody gets to choose what they look like. Unless you're older and have paid a you know, plastic surgeon a huge amount of money, then you <laughs> right. get to choose what you look like. But in terms of being in the womb, there was so much 
about us that we do not decide and yet so much of the bias that comes from the world is based and shaped on that and really trying to give children in particular this realization that like you know Paul in the corner didn't choose to be a little person in the same way that you didn't choose to have brown hair and yet you know if we're going to critique people let's critique people for being horrid for being selfish for being and even then let's encourage them to do better rather than critiquing them and that was the only reason why we did it We did it because we felt that that child deserved better. Never knowing that it would then become something and a conversation that more and more schools wanted to have. And it would then kind of gain attention and perhaps a business wanted you to come in because they had an employee who was disabled. And it was never something that I set out to do or think this is going to be my career or this is going to last longer than this one session. But it came out of necessity and... I think I was, you know, right place, right time, just qualified from university and from college. So I went. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. Hi, I'm Lori Kilmartin. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Who are you, Lori Gilmartin? Oh, my God. So much pressure. Uh, I stand, I stand up. I've been doing stand-up since 1987. Uh, I'm a writer for Conan. I've written a couple books, have a couple CDs out, have a special out. Who are you, Jackie? Well, I, too, am a stand-up comic since 1984. And uh, I do the road like a maniac and uh, don't have a cool writing job, but I have four albums out working on a new album. We talk about stand-up. We talk about uh, all the different parts of stand-up comedy. So that's the Jackie and Lori show and you should subscribe on Maximum Fun if you want to hear that. (laughs) And I would encourage you not to. Just based on experiences that I've had with with other people who are in these positions, as you were talking about, where you sort of become because there's something you know, unusual or rare or, uh, you know, just just quote unquote uncommon in terms of what the sort of like social norm is or what the physical norm is and, and, and how all of that sort of gets set by other people. Um, how much how much did you get to also just be a kid or was everything sort of does everything sort of become colored by like, you know, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. This is what I why I'm 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 going here to talk to people about what they should and shouldn't do and behave with respect. All all surrounding this one thing about me that isn't me, even if it is a part of me. Yeah, I think you know my childhood was joyous. My parents were and are so incredible. You know. I started school on the day of my fourth birthday and I came home from that day telling my parents that I was going to be a teacher. That's so cool. And they, they, they never questioned it. You know, my parents' only response was, great, you should, absolutely, you should do that. And that was 1994. Like, it was a long time ago. Ireland hadn't ratified the UN Convention on Rights of People with Disabilities. We didn't know what rights for disabled people were. Mm. And I don't doubt that my parents were nervous. Not necessarily that I wouldn't be a good teacher, but that the world might not let me. My dad is a little person too, and he grew up in a different country. He grew up in the UK. But having a father who looked like me was this incredible symbol because I knew everything was going to be okay because my dad had survived and, and thrived and had achieved so much 
But, you know, it was different. He was a man, I was a girl. There are different challenges that come about, but having that support system and not everybody has it. And even to this day, you know, if I say to my parents, I'm, I'm going to the Met Gala, my dad's like, great, enjoy that, have a lovely time. And that's not to minimize the moment of the Met Gala, but my parents have always been so supportive that nothing was ever really impossible. You were just finding another way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, and I think because of my dad, there was never a sense in my mind, at least particularly when I was a child, that my lens was colored in a way because I was just like my dad. Nice. So that fit within my understanding of what reality was in a sense. And I think as I I grew up and got older, you know, and still now, like I forget that I'm a little person, which sounds ridiculous, but like, you know, I don't see myself. And it's not until somebody perhaps points or stares or I can't reach something that I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot, like (laughs) I'm small. And I think in many ways, my friends, but most most particularly my brothers and sisters growing up would have lived with my disability in a more tangible way than I did mm. because they would have just been more conscious of mm-hmm. it. You know, if I meet my sister for a coffee p- post and pre-pandemic, she'll say to me, oh, I've picked a coffee shop and don't worry, like you'll be able to sit on all the chairs. It's not a high bench and high chair situation. Right. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Whereas usually I just like rock into a coffee shop and if that's the situation... I'll figure it out when I get there right. or, you know, go somewhere else. Whereas my sister like meticulously researches and plans these things because that's been her experience of my disability her whole life. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. It makes absolute sense. And then, it, and in terms of my personality, you know, or my experience, I think I've had a real shift in how in my relationship with my disability, I think when I was much younger you know I used to just say I'm Sinead and just call me Sinead like that's that's it Mm. and then as I got a bit more mature and a bit more worldly and a bit more understanding of the relationship between the personal and the political I began to realize that you know so much of my inaccessibility in terms of the world wasn't my fault and actually should have been acknowledged in in law and in rights and in all of these things and quickly began to realize that in terms of documentation for accessibility there was no legislation nor would there ever be for Sinead just Sinead Mm. and I began then referring to myself as a person with a disability because what I wanted to emphasize was my personhood and whilst placing all of the emphasis on that had some sort of value I also didn't realize what I wasn't saying. And what I wasn't saying in that moment was, don't look at my disability, don't talk about it, it's not important. What's important is the person. Right. And I think in the last kind of seven or eight years, I've really changed that relationship again because I'm now proudly disabled. And, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking if I wasn't disabled because how we have come to be in contact with one another is solely to do with how my disability has shaped me. Mm. You know, I consider myself an extroverted introvert. I grew up being the center of attention, not always with my consent, Mm -hmm. you know? People would stare and I think that allowed me, or I made a decision very young, despite not being conscious of it, that if people were going to stare, In a way, I was going to give them something to look at. I was going to develop the skills that if I was going to be in the spotlight, I would learn how to facilitate it. Yep. So part of what makes me a communicator 
and a kind of good one is because I've been communicating to the world my whole life because I've been at the top of the room with people looking at me. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. So it's like, I'm grateful to be disabled because I'm very proud of the Sinead that I am now. And being this person would be impossible and entirely alien if I wasn't disabled. Yeah, I, what, one of the things that I love about what you're saying too is I think, you know, we we all of course experience some form of, of transformative growth as, as we age. Um, but there are certain things that happen to certain of us and, and, or things that, or, or some things that don't happen that make an impact, right? The absence of something, uh, shaping who you are, um, as well as, uh, as all the things that you bring into the world when you're born, when in terms of your genetics. Um, but, but just the sort of, I mean, I really, I'm like so hesitant to say journey because that just is like, we're do it. It's do it. So we won't draw on a winter. She hates that the word. The journey it. that you've been on. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, I mean, I. We can use trajectory. The, trajectory. The traje- absolutely. The trajectory and, and, and just sort of where, where you are at your age and, and the fact that, you know, when I, when I was your age, um, the, the, the sort of biggest... You're making me feel better. I'm almost 30, but you're oh making me feel better. Oh, so please, thank you. your child. Your child. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was your age, you know, I, the, the, the stuff that I had to overcome was, was certainly, you know, largely chemical, emotional. You know, I, cert- I went through, you know, some kind of spectacular m- mental illness stuff when I was in my very late teens and early 20s. And, and so for me you know, the shape of my transformation and where I got my strength or where I became a better communicator uh, or became even more empathetic and all of that stuff was was sort of shaped by that. But certainly it was a, it was a slow, it was a slow going process. It continues to happen. And, you know, when you start kind of uh, like un, un, unrolling the different ways in which you've interacted with not only yourself, but the world, um, and the ways in which that's changed in a sh- for, feels to me like a short period of time because I'm I'm older than you and because uh, because I think about my own trajectory and I'm like oh my god you know you've I feel like you've figured so much out that so many of us are like well I'm 37 I'm just starting to understand that you know these things that were difficult for me have shaped me into the person I am you know it, it, sometimes it takes a while to to have those those different kind of colors within the scope of your relationship to what has been challenging for you and 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 all of that I mean that's just I hate to, that's so, like now I'm going to say that you're wise which is also super gross so I'm not <laughs> going to say I did not I want everyone to know no, I did I'm not grateful. say journey I did not say that you've been wizened as long as you don't say that I'm brave then and then I then just want to disclose by saying <laughs> you are so brave um, um uh, well give me give me no. a snapshot then if you can like snapshot is sure. works for anyone talking about like the span of their teenage years but let's just let's just pick an age let's say you know Sinead at 16 what did your mm-hmm. life look like when you were 16 um so it's funny I have just read uh Sally Rooney's Normal People. I don't know if you've read it, um, but I was late to the party and it seems that most people in the world have read it and I have not. Sinead, I and haven't read it. I haven't read it. Oh, good, good. We, we I'm can full, I'm be, filled with shame. I've, I, only re- I only read it on Saturday, so there is still time. 
Um, and it's so beautifully written and it's particularly about two people and it follows their life um, from school, from kind of secondary school, really around the age of 16 up until kind of college and, and post-college. And it is based in Ireland, but the novel has had international success. And I read it and I was like, do you know when you read a novel and you're like, God, their teenage years were very adventurous. Mine were not. <laughs> I was you know at 16 I had really long hair I had hair down to my ankles um it was comically long and dramatically <laughs> long and I th which is ironic because I now have a bob and it's terribly short I think that's like my rebellion from my mother having my hair so long oh but was I think that your I was, I was gonna ask was that something that you mm, felt fiercely proud of or was it yeah was it like she was no well, I think it was a duality my mother really liked my hair long my sisters and I all had very long hair but I also think what I liked about it was it proved my age without people having to ask me or maybe not proved it, but they knew I wasn't six mm. because it would be physically impossible for a six-year-old <laughs> to have that much hair. Right. And I think if I'd have had like more choice in clothes, I would have allowed my clothes to be that symbol. But because I couldn't find clothes to fit me that would hint to my maturity, my hair was this extraordinary symbol that it was like, hi, like, you know, this took time to grow. Right. Like, redo the maths in your head. Right. Um, but at 16, I was going into... I was in what we call transition year in Ireland, which is kind of a, a middle year between your two sets of state examinations. So you do one kind of when you're 15 and 16, and then you do another when you're kind of close to 18. And there's a gap year that is optional in some schools. Mm. And I was really young in school. So I did that gap year to try to make up the age before I went to college Okay, and just reveled in it. You know, I did work experience in school where... I went to a theatre, I spent a week in a theatre, I spent a week in a classroom being a teacher, I spent a week in a radio studio learning how to be like a, a talk show radio host. Wow. Um, we, we had a, a bank in our school, so we did a school project called like Build a Bank, where literally a bank came in and they interviewed us and we set up a mini bank in our school. And of course, I was the bank manager, which will tell you everything you need to know about me. You know, I remember <laughs> the kind of roles going up and there was like bank manager, assistant bank manager, there was like the chief finance officer and there was tellers. I, I remember saying to my mother. I just got to sit with this for a second because there may yeah. be that there may be a version of that in the American school system. Yeah. I'm consistently surprised by stuff that kids were experiencing that I absolutely had no sense of when I was 16. But this one is this this one is brand new to me. This idea of having we did like we did the school. we did like yeah, and we did like we did briefings on like the criminal justice oh act we God. knew about the legalities because we took like we set up real accounts because it was affiliated with like a local bank branch and we took money and everything but I remember being the bank manager and I remember that being the only role that I was interested in and not even just interested in but I didn't I didn't dream of applying for anything else like it didn't even occur to me that I could be or want to be like a teller or the chief financial officer uh -huh. I was just obviously going for the role with the most amount of leadership possible um, and got it but I remember one of the things that I wanted to do and in terms of hinting to kind of the person I became was I felt really that if we were going to set up a bank that in order to have some sort of ethic or moral compass, we should do like a fundraiser or something. Um, so we did this fundraiser and we chose an animal rights charity that was local to us. I don't know why, but we did. <laughs> and I wanted to hand over the check. We had raised some amount of money with the school and I wanted to hand over the check 
at like an event. I just wanted to make something of it. This was kind of my marketing head at the time at 16, wanting to kind of do a thing. And I was in my aunt's house in Dublin and a knock came on the door and she went to answer it and she came back and she said, that was the prime minister. We call him the Taoiseach in Ireland. He was canvassing for the vote because the general election was coming about. And that would be pretty, you know, if you live in the prime minister's area, it's very likely that he'll come up and knock on your door and ask him to vote for you. Mm. And I said to her, it wasn't. Like, don't be messing. He wasn't at your door. And again, remember, I'm 16. This is a grown woman. She was like, no, no, no. Like, it was him. And I said, all right, hang on. So I ran out the door after him, ran down the street, shouting at him, calling him by his first name. (laughs) And he turns around alarmed, like genuinely the prime minister of the country. He turns around alarmed and I like reach out to shake his hand and I word vomit at him who I am and the fact that I'm not in his constituency. I, I live miles away, but I'm doing this event and it's for my school bank and I need somebody. I need kind of somebody in government to hand over the check. And he was like, sure, sure. And he gave me his card and he was like, email my office on Monday because this was the weekend. So I went back into the house and I was like, yeah, you know, he gave me his card. I'm going to email on Monday. And my mom was like, you are a tyrant. Like you are a nightmare. (laughs) So I called his office on Monday expecting him to like, and expecting his team to kind of fuck me off in a way, you know, I was a kid. And he said, no, 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 we have the Minister for Education lined up. They'll, they'll be there. And they did. And the Minister for Education handed over the cheque. We got a photograph for the local paper. And it was a very excess, successful Tenora's bank manager. <laughs> so that's what I was doing oh, at 16. Oh, but there was, curse you. Curse but, you. That's all f- so fascinating and cool. Dull. I'm super mad. No, but I was very dull. Like there wasn't a hint of alcohol or drugs. So my point is when I read normal people and I'm like, they were having that much sex at 16. <laughs> no, I was managing a bank and chasing politicians. I was politicians. managing a bank. That's extraordinary. And chasing politicians. Yeah. I, you know, I I don't think that novel is going to sell a million copies. I think Sally Rooney is is safe with her writing <laughs> accolades. I don't think people will be swapping our books anytime soon. I feel like that the 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 presence of mind that you had and and the sort of willingness to go, why wouldn't I run and chase after him? Um yeah. and then to and then to think, you know, then to sort of after the fact. Like the it's interesting cuz the person who I'm I'm very into thinking about the the beyond duality but the plurality of all all of these different thoughts that we can all hold at a time and and all of the emotions that I think we're all feeling um sort of exaggerated right now because to your point you know there's more room for us to feel them if we're willing to look at them um thinking about those those different things happening all at once in in the mind and like I love that you that 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 that's a particular form of a screw it what do I have to lose so what if he tells me to go fuck myself like I don't care you know I'm gonna do it because why wouldn't I this is a once in a lifetime perhaps um and then also this idea of like but it is worth me doing because I have enough of a belief in the possibility that he may take me seriously or that he may give me his time that I need to do it for that reason as well right and so it's this kind of perfect combination of like chutzpah uh you know and and also like a feeling of 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 it doesn't matter either way 
Um, but if yeah. a person thinks it really isn't going to get anywhere, they probably won't do it. And if a person thinks it's the most important thing in the world and they must do it, they might also be too scared to do it. So I feel like it's a perfect yeah. and also combination. Having, having, and having that realization that, you know, it's not just transactional. That yes. there is value in it for both parties. Yes. Has something that has always been to kind of the core. And I mean, that approach of accosting people has probably been the main tenet of my entire career. I mean, I have accosted everybody from kind of prime ministers, presidents to like editors in chief of Vogue. You know, it's kind of, you know, if I had to write a book, it would be called so the cost would be in the title anyway as you can see I haven't given it much consideration or thought which is why I shouldn't write a book uh, but it's trying to find that balance of exactly that the worst that they can say is no and in many ways you know the power dynamic of that changes if you have a platform or if that platform grows because yes the worst they can say is no but there's also kind of embarrassment or is there is there a different channel you know should you be going through publicists that kind of thing so that sometimes changes but it's also realizing that when you're approaching these conversations it cannot it has to be mutually beneficial that my thinking when I approached the prime minister at the time was this is an election year yeah you are canvassing yeah. for votes you need and want to be re-elected here's something that I need that could help you be perceived better and I'm not sure if I had the articulation of that when I was 16, if I knew that that's exactly what I was providing him with in that regard. But I definitely had a sense of it. I definitely had a sense that both parties would benefit and he wasn't doing me a favor, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Does, you know, that there was something in it for both of us and there was value in it. And of course, I mean, I was profiting more than than he was. But it was that sense of, you know, the worst you could say is no, but he's a public figure. He has public duty yeah call him on it take him to task Why see not? what happens i'm sure if he says no fine you tried you asked yeah. you learned something from it and you know you can try again absolutely i, I one of the things i also really enjoyed uh, about what you just mentioned is this idea of sort of meeting someone with using the word agenda does make it seem like so official or so uh potentially like um th that there's that there's some kind of like ma grand master plan behind it where you're just sitting at a desk like rubbing your hands together in evil anticipation um but this but but the idea not of just having an agenda but just having something that you're bringing to that conversation or that accosting as the case may be where i think I think for a lot of us, like I, when I meet somebody that I respect or whose respect I would like to earn back in kind, um, I want to have something to say and I don't want it to be as much as I might want to just say, hey, I think what you do is great. I feel, I, I have, I've always had such a strong desire to be able to offer something back, right? And to have it be transactional, kind of in the way that you were saying, which is like, what's what sets this conversation apart for us in a way that um, puts me on more level ground because you know I think if you're a person who's who's in the public eye um, there becomes a certain like accidental monotony to just people after you know person after person just sort of acknowledging who you are and your worth and then you move on and then and and so you're not that's not a real connection right rather than you being able to come to the table and say like hey i want to talk to you about this this is and this is and this is something that's important to me and here's how it might be interesting to you or how it might be valuable to you or you know 
I, you've got listen you've got it pretty good a lot of people know who you are um i have something that i would love to to throw at you and and see what you think and see if you want to help me out and help me get the word out about something um to me those are like even being a, on the other side of it now a little tiny sliver of a bit in comparison with someone like your megan markles or your jamie lee curtis's or your prime ministers of ireland but when somebody who knows who i am before i knew who they are they are come up to me and they have something of value to them that they want to talk about that's that's what i want do you know what i mean i don't want the anonymity of like hey kid thanks for saying i'm cool see ya like i would prefer the interaction of like now tell me who you are what do you care about what are you passionate about you know what i mean that's not a question but that's just a total statement that i just threw at you but 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 that dialogue is 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 so necessary but I think more and more so hard to find. And, you know, I don't have an enormous public platform, but I think more and more we're hearing this rhetoric and it's it's also trying to find the balance that, you know, you don't want to be perceived as, particularly when you hear it coming from celebrities that, you know, the person didn't want to talk to me. All they wanted was a selfie or all they wanted oh, no. was to be seen to be, you know, they, they don't want to have a conversation. And whether that's coming from Billie Eilish or yes. Lady Gaga or, you know, a Kardashian whoever it is yes. and i think it's it's exactly that that like what's the currency of an interaction yeah what's the cur- and what's yeah. the purpose of an interaction what's the usefulness of an interaction and for me you know rarely has it been about being able to take that currency and present it online to then cultivate likes and comments right. but actually the currency is in and i think it's because of a background in education and a background in advocacy the success and the result is in whatever the outcome may be and realizing that I, that that outcome has to be larger than yourself you cannot be the only profiteer within it yes but also that it may not be immediate and actually the way in which to like create that is through intimacy is through trust and is through respect and is through kind of mutual kind of like a mutual ambition in a way I love everything you said. Um, I want to let you know. And listen, I know this is sort of unorthodox, but I went ahead and I just voted for you as prime minister of Ireland. I don't know how it works. (laughs) I don't know where this ballot came from. I may have in some sort of fugue state written it out by myself in crayon, but I am sending it off and damn it. Like that's what you want. I'm grateful. And I'm in. I think I'd take the presidency over the prime minister, but the presidency is more of an ambassadorial role and one has to be 35 to apply. Mm. Um, we shall see. I don't know if I don't know if politics. I often wonder if you can have more impact by being outside of the system. Oh God! And calling for change. Absolutely great question. Or great question. If you can have more power inside. Yeah. But then, if you're inside, where you do have the resources, or you know, the opportunity to say a quiet word, or you know who the point person is who can, you know, shift that fulcrum so that something moves. But actually. If the system is biased, yeah. how which every system is, how long can you be part of it before you become conditioned? Uh, right? And the way in which politics works is everybody's just trying to get reelected, right? By the time you're already elected and by the time you're in, you're already thinking about the next election. Yeah. And I wouldn't want that for me. Yeah. 
So I don't know if I would be successful within the current system. I could, but then I could not agree it's more. It's easy to be on the outside. It's easy yeah, to be on no, the outside no. and to be the person who's like waving the finger. Yes, going, this is not good enough. Yes, you're not doing this right. And oh my so, god, you and I could just have a separate like twelve episode podcast where <laughs> we take a person from the inside of any organization or system and a person on the outside and have them have a conversation about certainly what's frustrating about being on the other side, looking out or looking in. Um, but also yeah. just those conversations are so vital because um, that's, uh, that is something I'm fascinated by. The because churches, do you know what, what I'm saying? The, like yeah. Churches, schools, yeah. the criminal justice system, politics, mm-hmm. all of which of course are, you know, become connected to one another. And, and, and Freelance journalists, those who yes! are in a magazine. Yes, a thousand percent. I'm so yeah. fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by the people who choose to be inside of it um, and potentially try to change systems and then either fail or become part of the problem or succeed on some small level, but is it enough? Or just never really cared about changing it because to them, the system is as good as it's going to get versus somebody on the outside who is like, I don't want to be a member of your club, but I want to tell you what your club's rules should be. That, I mean, it's all yep. so interesting to me. So interesting. And in many ways, that was my experience within fashion. You know, I was very much an outsider. I was very much somebody who was not part of the system. And through starting a blog 10 years ago, I don't know if I have the audacity to say and to narrate myself that I'm on the inside, but you know, I get to sit front row at fashion shows. I get to consult with creative directors and CEOs. I get to have the most beautiful wardrobe of incredible custom clothes. But I also have access to designers and key stakeholders and important individuals within the industry that if I see something that should change. For example, I was in Los Angeles. I was on Rodeo Drive. I was in a store and I saw that the elevator was broken. And it was my first time in Rodeo Drive. And I kind of spoke to one of the sales assistants. And I said, hi, like, how long has the elevator been broken? And she was like, oh, about a month. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, like, that's not ideal. Uh So I emailed the company CEO and said, just so you know, your store in Rodeo Drive has had no elevator for a month. That means no parents with buggies or no wheelchair users or no older people can use your store. And they emailed back instantaneously and said, we'll get right on it. Thanks for letting us know. Hmm. And that's the power of the inside. Yeah. The ability to do work quietly, to get things done at an accelerated rate because you understand the landscape and have access to it Mm -hmm. is the value of the inside. But the challenge of being in the inside is that there are compromises you have to make. Yes. But if you tot it up, where can you have, where can change occur faster? Yeah. And also, what, what version of yourself do you want to grow? Do, do you want to, to, to get up with every morning, right? I mean, do you, yeah. because, because we, you know, that's another thing that I think people are understanding on a profound level all at once uh, in, in these moments that we're experiencing now together as a planet, uh, which is, you know, I can only be, of how much good can I be if I am an unhappy person, if I am unmotivated because I have created a situation for myself or not created it and and been born into it or am just sort of, you know, somehow I've cornered, I've been cornered into the situation where I'm not, you know, nobody, there are very few positions in life in which 
you have to be altruistic in order to be a good person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it shouldn't be yeah. like, well, Sinead hates being in the system, but that's where she's going to do the most good. So she needs to be miserable and be in the system for the rest of her life. Well, it's funny. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who works for a company which has an enormous amount of money. Uh, it's very kind of highly valued. And we had a conversation kind of about altruism and that she wanted to be more of an advocate in her work and wanted to leave her job so that she could do it. And we had the we had a very similar conversation. And I said, you know, what do you want to do? And she was like, I, I don't know what it is yet. And I said, well, you know, if you go to the charitable sector, they do really great work. But budget is always going to be your yep. issue. There is never going to be enough money for what it is you want to yep. do. So why don't we tilt the lens on your current job? Why don't we come up with a proposal so that you can make your work more meaningful for you with the endless resources that you have at your disposal and let's see what's possible because yeah the role in which you're currently in and the way in which you're doing it because that's the way you were told that you should do it is not fulfilling yes but is there another way yes turns out there is oh oh it's time for a quick break i will be back after a word from our friends at maximum fun hi i'm biz and i'm Teresa, and we host when bad mother a comedy podcast about parenting whether you are a parent or just know kids exist in the world, join us each week as we honestly share what it's like to be a parent. I don't know how to fix mornings for myself. <laughs> I do not know how to make mornings okay for myself. So the t-shirt, I don't do mornings, yes. isn't even a funny shirt. I no. shouldn't get it for you. It's sad. It's a sad shirt. Yeah, it's a sad shirt with tears flowing. So join us each week as we judge less, laugh more, and remind you that you are doing a great job. Find us on MaximumFun.org, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to get into this final piece that I can't remember if Barbara told you about or not. And if she didn't, it's because I forgot to tell her. But the only piece of the, of, the, of the podcast that has any um, rhyme or reason to it is this mash game that we play that is like, I think, pretty American, possibly has not crossed any ponds. But the only thing you really need to know is that this is sort of um, a lighthearted, like, alternate universe wish fulfillment game that just sort of puts some of your favorite things in your mind before we we finish the, the show so okay. with that in mind I will give you some categories you need only give me off the top of your head answers um, and then sure. in the end we will we will send you on your way with a 100% guaranteed <laughs> completely fictitious alternate universe uh, reality in which all of these things have come true uh, I'm into it. So with that being said, the first category, let us do three. Let's let's say you have in your uh, your family abode right now, you have a magical door uh, that allows you to walk into three different private spaces for yourself. And they can be as sort of fantastical as you walk into you walk through a door within your home and suddenly you're in a beautiful forest or you are suddenly you know in in an empty theater because that's where you do your best thinking three places that we're going to give you a magical space uh with a magical door to enter even during these quarantine times so space one i would open the door and enter into the foyer of hotel lungarno in florence Florence is one of my favorite places in the world and this is a hotel that I have been fortunate to stay in a couple of times but it is beautiful it is right on 
the river, the river, it is like just past the Ponte Vecchio, which mm-hmm. is one of the biggest bridges in Florence. And it has been a haven for some of the best conversations and pasta that I've ever had oh in my, my entire life. I um, love it. I love Florence. My, Ugh. my second place is in the Hammer Museum in West Hollywood. <gasps> That's right. Of I course was, we have to get that in there. I was introduced to it by Jamie Lee Curtis. I was going to LA on my very first visit and she said, where are you going to visit? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, go to the Hammer. So I did. And every time I go, I go to the gift shop and I buy something on a backpack that I wear every day I travel. I have a pin on it from the Hammer Museum and the bookshop is so beautifully curated that every time I go, I come away with like three, four books that have kind of expanded my mind in ways that, and confused me, but in a great way, oh, great. in ways that I can't measure. And I think right now, if there was a third door during this pandemic, I would have it lead to my sister's house because I haven't seen her since before this pandemic started. Lovely. And I would very much like to. Lovely. Uh, you know what's so weird, and I won't I won't take up too much time by saying this, but just as an aside, I was no, thinking no. about when you were saying you go for a walk in the morning, I was thinking about the walks that I go on, and I was thinking about the people that I happen across that, you know, we just sort of, with our masks on, you know, give each other a friendly salute, like, hey, you too need to go for a walk with a mask on, like, I gotcha, I feel your, I feel what, I feel it, um, and then I think, like, it's so amazing how many people I see in my little trips out to get exercise and stay sane. Um, and I see these people that I don't know at all yet. If a random friend of mine were walking on the street, I could have that same approximation to that person. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, Oh, I I wish, like, I wish I could, I I wish I could swap myself out momentarily for that person's loved one that they can't see and me the same just to see their physical body on the planet in the, and, and, you know, be 20 feet away but still just be like I see you I see you you're right there you know well I'm always really conscious that because I go walking at the same time every day I kind of see the same people every day yeah so I'm always really conscious like did they remember what I was wearing yesterday like (laughs) that I was wearing these jeans as I was yesterday or that I've been wearing these like sneakers like for six weeks we all are Um, doing it we're all doing it there's just no way and then I kind of reflect and I'm like what were they wearing yesterday and like I have no idea and I'm like oh am I just an awful person do I just like only care about myself and what I'm wearing am I just completely ignorant to the world so you have much more beautiful thoughts about the people you pass than I do now I'm just just wondering if they're judging yeah Uh, okay second category let's do three foods that in this reality you feel are either you know sort of ecologically uh unsound to to the the footprint of the earth or you're allergic to them or you know listen it'd be divine if you could have them in perpetuity uh, but at a certain point you would feel sick to your stomach because they're so sugary if you have a sweet tooth let's take this these three perfect things as general a category or as specific as you want all people pizza or you know one little flatbread you had one time in Florence um and and we're gonna take all of that away and you can have as much as you want whenever you want uh with zero ramifications okay three. this is a great idea so <laughs> I live in a relatively small town in Ireland and it's fair to say that the global cuisines of the world has not reached mm. this town despite me loving it uh, and particularly during a pandemic there's just a some food is not available so I haven't had so sushi is one of my favorite foods and I have not had it in 
maybe seven, eight weeks, mm. which is probably the longest in my adult life since I was in a, uh, since I had the ability to buy and source sushi that I've not had it. So I would really, in many ways, do anything. I think for some salmon nigiri. <laughs> no, obviously, when I say anything, I mean I don't, of course, mean make it myself because let's not be completely <laughs> We're not ridiculous. Being crazy. I mean, let's let's write it in. So I think some salmon nigiri. Wonderful. I think some pork gyoza, which I also could make myself and yet will salivate here on a call with you about it and not do so. And then the third thing is my sister came with me to a fashion show in February and I've never really traveled with my sister, this sister before. And she came with me to Milan for three days, took it off work and saw some fashion shows with me. And it was just one of those trips that I will treasure forever. Mm. And when we arrived in Milan, we were staying in this beautiful hotel and the weather was glorious. And the first thing we did was order room service, which is such a huge luxury oh, yeah. and not something that we we grew up with or we're used to. And on the balcony of my hotel room in the sunshine, Natasha and I both ate this delicious handmade pasta. Oh, wonderful. And I'm not sure if it was the food, the company, or all things combined, but I think if I could live in that moment, mm. I'd do it again and again. Yeah, I love that. What a wonderful, thoughtful answer. Um, these are great. Okay, next category. Uh, this is uh, very traditional to the MASH game. Uh, romance, alternate universe romances. It can be a one night stand. It can be um, in terms of who, it can be anyone from any era, living or dead. It can be a character, a cartoon, an animal. There's zero expectations placed on this category. Three romances. Three. Uh, Hayden Christensen. Why? I'm not sure. But he just has... <laughs> he has like a facial structure that looks like it would cut you. It's so sharp. And yet... It does not repel me. Yes. Um, Michael B. Jordan, because he is possibly the most aesthetically pleasing person in the universe. But when I did cross his path, he came up to me. He was like, hi, I'm Michael. And I was like, no, no, yes, I, <laughs> I'm aware of exactly who you are. But you have impeccable, impeccable manners. Yeah. Uh, well raised is Michael B. Jordan. Awesome. That's so good and to know. And third person is... Riz Ahmed, if it was possible. I think my mother would like me to marry Riz Ahmed. I think <laughs> I got to interview him for the podcast and she was like, you should date him. And I was like, yeah, because that's, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> I mean, our mothers command who we date right. and then it's possible. It's so, you know, for my mother alone, I must include Riz as that third Beautiful. answer. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, next category, let's do three skills that you currently, you can either be, you know, fine at it, uh, terrible at it, never tried it. But uh, tomorrow, we have the potential of waking up and being expert at three things. Amazing. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the ability to alter my own clothes, which I do not have and have never practiced because there's an amazing woman who has been altering my clothes on my behalf since I was four years old and she still does it to this day. But I should know how to like alter a sleeve or alter a pair of jeans to save me time and money and just be able to do it myself. Got it. Um, I do not cook often. Uh, and by often, I mean not at all uh, I can I do like a bowl of pasta for lunch or like you know kind of might make a pastrami bagel and I kind of think I'm you know Gordon Ramsay but 
I watch a lot of cooking shows. Like I really enjoy, I really enjoy. I think the maths and like the culture of cooking. But the idea of like standing in front of my hob, being very stressed out about the lack of timing of things, right. I don't personally enjoy. Yes. So I would love to have. Uh, I would love to love to learn how to cook. Does that make it, sense? It makes total sense. Um, instead of just love watching yeah. other people how to cook. Yes. And I think thirdly. Uh, like learning how to blow dry my hair properly. Oh God. Talk about needing patience and skill. I really get that. See, there's a real pattern here showing you my personality. <laughs> like anything all relatable that requires. To me. All relatable Like to me. all of the things that require like patience. Like you can't have your phone in your hand. Yeah. You must do only this one task. Like usually I'm like, ah, no, yeah. I'll do something else. You're fine. Yep. Uh, okay, wonderful. Next category, three people from history that we are going to sort oh. of hand you as not just a mentor, but also just like a confidant and a friend. Oh, great. Um, Frida Kahlo. Beautiful. Um, I think because so much has been written about Frida in a way in which I think she would dislike. Mm. So much of her disability has been erased. Yes, to cultivate a narrative of inspiration porn mm. and you know she didn't become an artist in spite of her disability but because of it yes. and due to it yes i would like to have a dialogue with her in relation to that and to kind of be guided through whatever artistic process i do uh, with frida um other people my two grandfathers died before i could meet them and I would really like to be introduced to them. I think they are both people who had an incredible impact on my mother and on my father for lots of different reasons. And I think they would be really good people to give guidance. Um, so if I could put the two of them together. Great. And I think thirdly, people in history. Um, I think a person who I would like to talk to is... See, now I'm going to name somebody and I'm not sure if she's actually dead. Wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> well, if she's still alive, she still lived long enough to be a part of history, even if history was five years ago. So, Well, that's very generous of you. Um, so, um, well, the reason why I would like to talk to this person. So I spent a month in Paris last summer learning French, which was possibly the best gift that I've ever given myself. And whilst I was there... I went to Shakespeare and Co, which is this very beautiful bookshop. It sure is. Right back, right close to Notre Dame. And while there, I bought Susan Sontag's notes on photography. Oh, wonderful. And I'm not a photographer, but I, I just think the visual image is so important. But so much of the book is dedicated to a narrative around dwarves and around the lack of beauty of dwarves. And I was really upset by it. Not by Susan Sontag. I mean, Susan has never really cared what people taught, thought of her. Mm. But I would like to talk to Susan because she is such a she is such an icon in the sense of the attention that people give to her and give to her work. That whether it was intentional or not, by using descriptors like this in this book, she's giving other people permission to think those things too. Mm. And not even that, but it is a book that is given on courses as a course text particularly to photography students and you know whatever about me picking it up in Paris and reading it but you know if I was in college studying photography and that book was passed around to me and my classmates and we were supposed to do an assignment on it like how would it make me feel mm. if the rest of my class had to read this 
really awful description of what I looked like and what I could do and be in the world. God. So I, I would love to chat with Susan about maybe redoing that chapter. Hell yeah. <laughs> and like, and like maybe just giving it a sense of modernity. God, that's really troubling. That's really troubling. Yeah. Um, happens more often than you think. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that's true. Okay, next category, let's do three places in the world, whether you've been there or not, that we are going to give you a vacation home, uh, and it's like you're teleporting there. So you can just remove the travel um, from it altogether. Aspect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really want to go to Japan. I want to go specifically maybe to Kyoto. Mm -hmm. I want to see the Golden Temple in Amritsar in India. And... I think maybe the Aran Islands, which are islands just off Ireland, where they are mostly Gaeltacht, which means they're Irish language speaking. Mm. And they are in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and quite bare and rural. And on a beautiful day, there was nowhere better in the world. And on a cold day, you just want to like get in a boat and leave. But <laughs> Wonderful. I think those three places. Wonderful. Okay, uh, two quick more categories. Let's do... Um, Let's do uh, three designers, living or dead, who uh, design you an entire collection. Christian Dior, because I would like a new look suit, a new look kind of dress with a cinched in waist and a beautiful full skirt. Um, Kirby Jean Raymond of Pierre Moss, because I think he is so smart and... I think if I had to pick a third person, you know, there's an amazing group in New York in Parsons College of Art and Design. Mm. And there's a lecturer there called Grace John who leads a kind of discipline and a company called Open Style Lab, where she brings together her students with people with disabilities or older people and in collaboration that create a collection together. Wonderful. And I think maybe that I would love to see what somebody like that would create for That's me. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Uh, okay, wonderful. And then finally, let's do three bands or composers, singer-songwriters that um, we're going to give you, especially when uh, you're sort of up and, and, and out and traveling again, uh, sort of give you um, a soundtrack that is, that is kind of just for you, customized for your life and moods, uh, three that you would love to see. Like, well, how would they interpret you know, me on a plane, like sort of deep in thought, etc. Billie Eilish. Great. Because I think she's a genius and she's 18, which is frightening. Yep. Um, but I just want to look inside her brain and absorb it all. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed. Second, FKA Twigs. Because I think she is smart and has this extraordinary way of encapsulating a moment that you don't even realize she's doing it or saying it until like weeks later and it dawns on you that something you listened to or heard finally makes sense. Mm. And I think thirdly, anything Justin Tranter writes, Justin Tranter was the lead singer of a band called Semi Precious Weapons and was on tour with Lady Gaga for most of my youth. And Semi Precious Weapons didn't become the success that many people wished it did. But Justin is and was incredibly talented and left the band and began songwriting with Julia Michaels and doing a lot of work on their own. Oh, right on. 
And every time I hear a new song, particularly a pop song, and if I think like, you know, if I'm incessantly listening to it or dancing to it all the time or, you know, just can't control my body movements, I kind of take a beat and I'm like, did Justin write this? Mm. And then I check the song credits and I'm like, yes, they did. Oh, that's so interesting. And that's like from Dua Lipa's Boys Will Be Boys to, you know, Janelle Monae's Make Me Feel and... Yeah, kind of anything Justin writes. Oh, that's great. I feel like I just learned something. Um, I mean, I did just learn something. That's not a feeling. Okay. Uh, pick a number for me uh, between one and five. Oh, can I also oh. say Lizzo? Oh, yeah. And I'm already done now. But Lizzo. Lizzo too. Uh, a number between one and five. Four. Okay, great. Now, uh, while I do some quick calculations to tell you which of these cat- which of these uh, things you've received in each category, <gasps> would you uh, mind telling people uh, just once again where they can find you, what they should be listening sure. to, anything they should read, watch, sure. anything anything that is that is you or you recommend? That's very kind of you. So you may find me on the internet under the handle of the Sinead Burke. My name is spelled S-I-N-E-A-D. It is the Irish word for Jennifer or Jane. You may be familiar with the name due to Sinead O'Connor. In terms of things that I recommend, as I said, I've just finished reading Sally Rooney's Normal People. And it is a beautiful telling of how one person can change your life in both harmful and important ways. Uh, I would also recommend... Dua Lipa's new album. It is a great pop record that will make you feel so full of joy. But there's a song on there called Boys Will Be Boys and really talks about living within the patriarchy. The first two lines are about going home when the sun goes down and walking down your street with the keys between your knuckles in case somebody Mm, jumps out at you mm -hmm. and we really haven't heard lyrics like that within pop and particularly coming from a pop star female pop star for a very long time and then in terms of other things if you haven't watched crip camp on netflix please do it's with the amazing advocate judy human and it talks about the civil rights movement for disabled people in the united states fabulous what about that? What a what a wonderful marching orders the uh, our listeners have just get, gotten. I'm 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 pleased, very very pleased. I hope too that you will be pleased by the results of this mash uh, game oh, that we've yes. played. Um, I feel you will be. First of all, I want to congratulate you on your uh, little getaway that you can disappear to um, and disappear from uh, if it starts to rain. Uh, a, a little spot in uh, the Aran Islands. It's yes. it's an apartment. I'm not sure how that works in a rural landscape like that, but <laughs> apparently it's all good. We got it. It's 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 architectural magnificence. That's right. That's right. Uh, you also, uh, whether you're there, no matter where you are, I want you to know that you can guilt free just take in as much porkyosa as you could ever want. Uh, yes. Heap upon heap. Uh, you have a gorgeous wardrobe designed by Dior. Uh, should anything happen like, oh, you know, I, th- this sleeve came unraveled for some reason. You are a seamstress extraordinaire. So you can alter your own Amazing. stuff. Uh, if need be, you can do little mends and repairs. Um, so you have that capacity in spades. Uh, I want to congratulate you for your friendship with uh, the phenomenal Frida Kahlo. 
Um, yes. You, uh, I feel, will be getting a great deal out of that. And she will be getting a great deal out of it as well. <laughs> um, she, I hope she enjoys uh, kind of leaning into and experiencing when you guys are hanging out your custom soundtrack uh, created for you by Billie Eilish. Um, Amazing. You, I just want Frida Kahlo and Billie Eilish to be in the same I know, room. right? I, I know. I, be, I saw those two I come through, be right? Yeah. Like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, this is an interesting atmosphere right here. Um, you also have a, a, a wonderful relationship, and this will make your mother very happy, uh, with Riz Ahmed. <laughs> She'll be thrilled. So you're set. I mean, this is, this is the dream life right here. That's My right. mother is going to be... Thrilled. That's right. And just to uh, just to button it up with another familial reference, uh, you also have a magical door that takes you right to your sister's house in the middle of this I mean, quarantine. The best. Not bad, this right? has been I mean, the greatest. I couldn't have asked for more. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I can take all the credit, yet you provided all the good answers. So that's how I like things. I love how this that's works. How I like this is very inside the system. <laughs> Well, Sinead, I'm so appreciative of you doing the podcast. I sure hope we have a chance to uh, say hello to each other in person the next time you're in Los Absolutely. Angeles. Um, I would love, I would love to that. go to the museum with you. I promise I won't talk your ear off so you can really just absorb everything. Um, but I, Not too, love all. a good museum and the hammer is extraordinary. So we, I, I'll, well, let's do I'll come that. and hang. And um, yes. yes. And everyone else, please be well. Take good care. Um, and uh, sit with your feelings and learn. Uh, from them right i mean that's that's a real opportunity here as we go through this janet thank you so much the show is recorded by me and edited by julian burrell and as always the jv club theme song is back before we were brittle by the amazing say hi MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.